Welcome to ConX Podcast. Today we're meeting with uh, Don Tucker. Don is uh, the president and owner of Spectrum. And rather than me, Don, giving your introduction, I think it's probably best um, for you to kind of talk about yourself and don't be too humble. <laughs> well, I have every reason to be humble. So. <laughs> I'm um, president and owner of Spectrum Contracting Services. Some days I think it owns me, but there's a thin difference between owning a company and a company owning you. <laughs> but um, I'm very active in my company. I um, am at work every day and I'm involved in the operations, the marketing bidding uh, out on the site, some, especially out-of-town projects, and I'm generally just a, a very active uh, president of the company. I, I don't sit in my office, office drink coffee all day. Well, Don, tell us about Spectrum as a company, um, but before you do that, can you go all the way back, and I know it's a, I know this is a long time to think because you're not necessarily a young pup anymore. But uh, kind of got to go back to where you grew up and what did you do? You know, how did you get to where you are? That kind of Sure. But but you didn't have to say I'm not a young pup anymore. This is a podcast. <laughs> Nobody can see. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, uh, I grew up. Uh, I'm proud of where I grew up. I grew up in a, a little town called Rowley, Kentucky. It's in the corner of Adair County, about 14 miles from Camelsville, about 14 miles from Columbia, and about 15 miles from Liberty, uh, where three roads came together. Um, Dad, right after the Army, getting out of World War II, he met my mom, and, and uh, I was born. My mom was very young when I was born. We grew up, I, I, I was, to, according to today's standards, we grew up poor, but we didn't grow up poor at all. Um, my parents were very hardworking people. Um, we always had plenty of food and we always had clean clothes and they gave us a phenomenal amount of guidance in terms of living a Christ-centered life, working hard and understanding that we could accomplish anything that we were willing to work hard enough to accomplish. And uh, there was no nonsense in our house when it came to school studies. You made really good grades or you were in trouble. Um, so were you in trouble or not? No, I actually made pretty good grades. But the smartest one in my family, I've got two brothers and two sisters, the smartest one in the family wasn't a very good student. And he stayed in trouble. <laughs> but he had a high IQ and, and, and he does really well. Uh, but... Uh, a spanking a day was his was his uh, repertoire growing up. Uh, my parents were my dad was a dozer operator, so at age of twelve or thirteen in the summer times, I sometimes would go to work with dad and sit under a tree and and watch construction being built. So I developed a, a liking for construction from since I was very young. My dad used to joke and say I was going to go to school and and get a good become an engineer and and going to give him a soft job. Well, 
part of that became true. I went to the University of Kentucky, majored in engineering and business, graduated. And when I started my company some years into it, um, I hired my dad as a superintendent. And he told me the only thing wrong with that dream he had is I didn't give him a soft job. I was harder on him than anyone else. <laughs> that must so, have been an interesting arrangement, uh, having your dad work as a superintendent for your company. It, it really was. My dad was a strict disciplinarian. If I scored 22 points in a basketball game, he wanted to talk about the two I didn't score. If I made all A's but one B, we only talked about the B. And, and, and I can exemplify that with a little bit of a funny story. We were building um, raceways beneath the, beneath the Wolf Creek Dam in Russell County, which wasn't too far from where I was born. And my dad was a superintendent on that job. And we were there and it was a big, big concrete job. And we were going over details and I, I was fine tuning costs. And, you know, we were having a, a business discussion and he, I was the president of the company and he worked for me. And that role was, was well-defined. At, at the end of that day, before I headed back to Lexington, he said, your mom would like you to come by and have dinner with us tonight. So I said, okay, I can do that. And I followed him in a pickup truck. I was driving a Corvette. And when I drove into his yard, the first thing he does, he gets out and tells me I crossed the yellow line twice and, and criticized my driving. He went back to being father. So, but we never had any we never had any problems with our roles. He was a phenomenally good superintendent, and I absolutely worshiped the man as my father. Wow. So I went I went to the University of Kentucky and um, got a good education. Um, tried to play baseball while I was there, but I couldn't couldn't do engineering and baseball both. Um, graduated and it, the year I graduated was when they did the draft lottery, and I was one of the early numbers in, in the draft lottery. I think seven. I remember correctly. So I uh, was in the Army for a period of time and got out and went to work with White and Condon, who's now Condon Hacker. I actually chose them. They weren't looking for anybody. And I, I did research and I liked them. I called Bob, Bob Condon and asked him if he would be willing to interview me. And he said, we, we, We're not looking for anybody now. I said, Well, I have a major in engineering. I've worked Every summer in construction, that's how I put myself through school, and I have a business degree. He said, well, come and talk to me. So they created a position for me and hired me, and they were a phenomenal company to work for. And I worked for them for um, six, seven years. One of my prime projects is Seaton Building over the UK. I was a project engineer. I'm at 23 years old, I guess. And um, anyway, I, I just had a great relationship there and, and met um, I was playing semi-pro basketball and met a guy that was a developer and he taught me into going in business with them and, and I did. And then from there, that didn't last too awfully long because the construction was supporting the development. Mm -hmm. and if you know a lot about development, you know you can't ever have enough money to support a developer. So, so uh, formed my own company and, and then later uh, it got reorganized into Spectre. And that's kind of my history. I'm married to a beautiful supporting lady, uh, Marilyn Tucker, who I married late in my life. I was 40. Uh, for a period of time, I forgot how I was raised. And the only thing kept me being a playboy is I wasn't tall, dark, and handsome. So, <laughs> well, 
Well, I was going to ask you, if you didn't get married to your 40, is it, is it you were just trying to push all the ladies away? Well, we, we, uh, I had an interesting life. I wish I hadn't done it. If I could do it over, I would undo it. But one of the cool things about being a Christian, the world, you may not be able to undo your past here in this world, but as the scriptures say, as far as the East is and the West is, is our sins. And um, forgiveness is a, is a great thing. And actually, I rededicated my life in, when I was uh, 38 years old. And I've tried to live as good a life as I can since then. So tell us about Spectrum as a company. When did it start and kind of how did it come around? Well, um, Spectrum started in February 12, 1987. Um, it came about through a, a uh, I don't know really exactly how to say this, but a, but a business failure of sorts, I guess. Yeah, well, it wasn't a business failure of sorts. It was a, 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 it was a business failure. I uh, had a company that was about 11 or 12 years old, and we had done some amazing work. Um, we had used a joint venture relationship with the company out of Omaha, Nebraska, to, to help us to grow. We, we built some very sizable projects. For example, the Moorhead, Moorhead Academic Athletic Facility in Moorhead, uh, which is here, there where they play, still play basketball to this day, which was probably equivalent to a $25, $30 million project now or more, um, a six-story library tower in Moorhead and so forth and so on. But, and we had, we had a good reputation, a good future, and I got involved with the developer from North Carolina and did several projects for him. In fact, saved him by being able to put a the Holly Inn, which was a big wood hotel in Pinehurst, North Carolina, which is the golf capital of, of the world, I guess. He he sold hotel rooms as condominium hotel room and he did it through the SEC. And he, the deal was he had to put it in service on December 25th. I'm sorry, December 31st. And um, so we got involved when another company failed and they had just done a little bit of exterior work. Long story short, from September the 4th to December the 31st, we had to put the hotel in service and we did. Well, that was pretty much unheard of. So the reward was he, we started doing all this work and um, we let him get, we, we had him, Back then, a $42 million project on Hilton Head Island, and land was bought, tentative funding letters from the banks, and then at that time, Hilton Head went through, um, the island went through, it was when the, um, when the funding um, became very, very tight, and there was a recession, and Hilton Head Island got hit hard, and long story short, we had a bunch of money tied up in that project and several other of this developers uh, projects and he went broke and left us in a position that we had to reorganize our company and so forth. So that led us into Spectrum. We took our people and reorganized our company, changed some business philosophies and so forth. And that was February 12, 1987. And it's predominantly the same company today. So 
really, what is uh, the core focus of Spectrum? You know, um, if you had to, if somebody asked you that question, and it, that could go a lot of different ways, but what would you say? Well, this this may be a longer answer than you want, and if, you, if it is, stop me. But uh, I know from having a marketing degree that you should be able to define exactly what you do very quickly. And I can define what we do, but we're a very multifaceted contracting firm. Our mantra is the complete contracting firm. We're licensed in 13 states and we hold an NASCLA national license. Our primary markets are divided up into divisions of our company. And each of these divisions has particular clients and particular and are active in certain market segments. Um, and, and the market delivery method is different for each of these uh, divisions. So perhaps just a quick look at the divisions would explain who we are and, and what we do. One of our major divisions is the church division. We average a little over 50, it aver a little over 50 percent of our volume every year is in churches. Uh, I think we've done 70 some churches now. Wow. Uh, 98% of all of our churches, Spectrum is a design build contractor. We've negotiated those projects and we're the preferred contractor. So those are all negotiated projects. Um, the marketing strategy for our churches is we align ourselves with partners who specialize in financing churches, such as CFR, Christian Funding Resources, CDF, Christian Development Funds, and so forth. So they, they like us because we keep projects in budget They'll tell you that we've never had a project that they've had a financial problem on. So, um, and then also word of mouth, every church we learned pretty early talks to every other church. So if you solve a problem for a church, the word spreads. And that um, puts us in a position of having opportunities really across southeastern, really, I guess, the eastern part of the United States. So we travel a lot with that division. Of course, it's a two-edged sword. If you you got to be very aware of solving church problems, or or if you if you don't solve the problem, that word will get out also. The we also have a healthcare division. Um, this volume varies from year to year, based upon governmental regulation, tax structures, funding, certificates of need, and some of those things that drive the healthcare industry. It's probably 70, probably 70 to 75 percent of the healthcare facilities are negotiated, and the project delivery method is design build. We travel over a substantial market with this division as well. We've worked as far north as Wisconsin, as far south as Bradenton, Florida, as far west as Wichita, Kansas, as far east as Avon, New York, North Carolina, which is near the Outer Banks. So, and that mantra kind of come comes from, or that travel comes from having clients that we go wherever our clients go. And as healthcare providers have been bought out by larger companies, we've had the opportunity to, to travel a lot. Um, so it, it, that's a big segment of our, our market. And then we have a division called commercial, which usually constitutes approximately 25% of our volume. Approximately 50% of it is negotiated projects usually about 50% of those being designed build. 
and then we have about 50 percent competitive bid but we're just a, we're just a regular general contractor or we negotiate a general contract we rarely uh travel out of state with this division marketing strategy has uh, become well known on certain type projects for example car washes dairy queens and murder pies so we have a presence in all those uh, in fact we've got a developer wanting us to build burger pies in baltimore maryland i haven't said yes to that yet it comes from uh, becoming an expert and the corporate store recommends and our, our most of, the, uh, of those projects are uh, or a lot of them at least 50 percent of them are probably commercial competitive big project where we're the general contract custom homes another division perhaps seven or eight percent of our volume it primarily exists just to build housing for commercial clients that we have that want us to build for them. And although right before the 1988, uh, I'm sorry, the 2008 debacle, uh, we were actually were building 10 or 12 homes a year, fairly large homes. Oh, wow. Yeah, we saw that coming and we owned a lot of lots and we were fortunate. We, we were able to get out of them and sold all the sold two remaining lots that we hadn't built upon and collected all of our money and walked out of there with a good, good operation. But we certainly uh, got out the right time for us. We, we actually built a project on Kiowa Island. I say it's local. We built two residents on Kiowa Island for an owner here in Lexington. So, but we go where our clients go. And then our last division, and you probably it's probably a little longer than you want it. It's probably approximately 25 to 35% of our volume. And these are projects that are smaller in job size, but complicated from an engineering or construction perspective. For example, the Fitchburg Furnace, which is a historical project in Ravina, Kentucky, that was sliding down the side of the mountain. It was, it's about the, it's about a third the size of the Sphinx, big long, laid sandstone structure back they tried to um, melt steel with wood and built this furnace and it's, so it was about to crumble and um, they, they bid the job through the University of Kentucky and there was only one bidder us because nobody else would tackle it and we fixed it up and from there put, put a buttress and concrete buttress in stopped the erosion and the slippage and then they decided it was such a good project that the government did that we would actually fix part of the sandstone that had um, been uh, damaged by somebody dynamiting it trying to destroy it and we actually mined the sandstone from a local place that the original sandstone was mined these were in 1200 to 1800 pound pieces and actually put them in place well, that was a very complicated project. It wasn't big in dollar volume, you know, five or six hundred thousand dollars, but it was a very exciting, hard project. And that's what we do with our special division. So we're we do all this kind of of work. Yeah. Um, well, very uh, rarely will you find a company that is diverse as you guys. Um, you know, when you talk about been there, done that, you guys have truly been there and done that. You know. Um, I wanted to ask you one question when I was listening to you, I just thought, and you talked about the, the 
portion of our business that works with churches. How, you know, I think everybody listening to this podcast and me and you know, um, construction has a bad reputation in a lot of ways uh, for being unethical and having issues. And and obviously there's uh, some certain standards working with uh, churches. How different is your company because of those relationships and the expectations working in that industry and your personal faith? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, hadn't, hadn't thought, I thought of how we uh, brought things to the church, but I hadn't thought how the church brought to us, but, but it has. And, and, and you're right about the reputation of a contractor, which I think a lot of it is, or most of it's unfair. Um, states where you have to be licensed, it seems that contractors are held in higher esteem than they are in Kentucky, where to be a contractor, you have to have a pickup truck and a ha- or a hammer, but but you sure have to have a pickup truck. So you, you don't have to be licensed in Kentucky, which is, I think, very bad, a bad for the industry. I was, in, I was at Southland one Sunday, you'll get a kick out of this, and waiting for church to start, and I hear two people talking behind me. And uh, one of them was a building inspector, and this gentleman was saying the building inspectors, he said, well, how do you handle all these uh, contractors that lie and cheat and they don't do anything right? And the building inspector said, well, no, that's not true, most contractors. And the, the other guy pushed it farther and he said, no, I know. He said, contractors are just low lives. And the building inspector said, oh, well, I don't find that to be true. And about that time, they, as they do at Southland, they ask us to stand up and say hi to people around us. So I stood up and turned around to the gentleman behind me and introduced myself and said, I'm a building contractor. I overheard what you had to say. And at first I was offended, but now I've decided here's my business card. You need to be a good contractor that's morally correct and knows how to do, build projects. So it was, it was kind of a funny, funny time. He was, he was very embarrassed. <laughs> I can imagine. Building a house, I say building a church is like building a, ho- a house, a custom home for 500 people. But it has to be only one custom home. So you have to understand the dynamics of church. They work off of um, contributed money. They work off of contributed uh, manpower other than the ministers usually. You know, you have chairmen of the board and stuff that do other things. So you you got to understand that when they want to have a night meeting, it goes from 6 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night, and you've already put a work day in, that just just know it going in and take your time and, and work through all the issues. Um, and it, 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 it's a remarkable symbiotic relationship working with churches. Some of the greatest pleasures I've gotten in my life is building churches. Uh, my wife wants me to write a book about building churches. And, and we have always had great relationships with churches. Most of, in fact, right now we're building the church addition in Tampa, Florida that we built in 2011. And it's grown so much that we're back building an addition. It's a sizable addition. In Nashville, Tennessee, we're building a, a an addition to a church that we built in 2012, and it's uh, two and a half times the original building. So when you when you keep getting invited back to 
to these churches when they grow and they keep telling other people about your you and you you can grow your your business the primary answer to the question i think you ask is you have to be you have to understand the dynamics of a church and you have to be able to meet them with their dynamics you can't you can't rush into this just like a hardcore business meeting and and that has taught us so your question how has that helped our business was taught us all more patience and more of a giving attitude i suppose in terms of giving of our time and giving of um, our knowledge and making investments in churches and that's taught us to do that with other kind other clients which has helped us in the rest of our business you know and it seems to me that sometimes when you build a building for a certain group of people uh, i felt like this when i was building a government facilities you kind of develop a connection with that group of people and uh um and having that greater good building something for that greater good and and to be honest with you that's one of the reasons that i chose to go into uh government contracting personally is because i had that connection to the military myself and i it was important to me that that s soldiers and sailors have a good place to sleep and eat and be taken care of and just like with you i'm sure you feel the same way about um yeah about parishioners that they have a good place to come and worship you know so um it, it kind of changing gears here What's what is probably the most significant event that you had that occurred that really shaped the business model that you have today? Uh, two events. One was a, a business failure. When I, when I say it's a business failure, it wasn't a, 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 we've already talked a little bit about it. It was a developer that we let get into us and, we couldn't get paid and he went broke and he forced our reorganization. I'm an optimistic person by nature and I'm an aggressive person by nature uh, in terms of I'm willing to work hard and I go after a lot. But it taught me, I had a business degree, so I knew this, but it re-emphasized, don't let you, contracting is not just about building buildings. It's about the whole business. If you don't have, if you're not always contractually right, or you don't have good contractual forms, if you don't collect your money, if you don't keep up with cost and do all those other business principles, then the joy you get from building a building will, will end because you won't be able to continue to build if you let the business go. So, so that failure also led to a greater success. I think the second thing um, is in 2000, uh, um, I guess it was really 1999, I started developing a, uh, I could tell I had some sight loss. And I'd always had excellent sight. I was a good athlete. I was still playing sports aggressively. In fact, I was first team all state as a 40 year old. Um, and the next oldest first-team All-State in Class A softball was a 28-year-old. Uh, so I was still very aggressive, still playing basketball, but I kept 
seeing blind spots and kept going to eye doctors and the 2020 vision. And finally, somebody uh, out of Nicholsville, in fact, uh, Dr. Music, diagnosed. He said, you, I think you may have RP. And they ran all the text, tests, and I did. Retinitis pigmentosa is a disease of the retina uh, where your rods are damaged and you start to lose peripheral vision, night vision, and color, color vision. So I had to stop driving in 2001. And um, being legally blind, and you've had lunch with me, had some difficulties getting around and so forth, has taught me to go from the very, very, very independent person that I've always been to being able to be dependent at certain times but not ever being totally dependent, if that makes sense. And that 100% that does to me, you know, because um, obviously the people on the podcast know that, you know, I have a loss of my lower left leg. And and uh, it's funny that if you're kind of a, a proud person, <laughs> how you can be brought to your knees fairly quickly by something like that and how those experiences, and, and we talked about this, Don, uh, how those experiences really change kind of who you are and how you see the world. I mean, for me, after I lost my leg, uh, the world became a lot less about others and a lot less about me, you know? So, and I, I know you kind of feel the same way. Um, but at the same time, once you get past the initial shock, you know, I had a Porsche when I was, when it was determined I couldn't drive anymore. Now that, that sounds like, well, so what? You had to get rid of your Porsche. But I had driven sports cars. Cars were a real thing to me, and I played sports. And all at once, my, my Dr. Music said, you need to start getting prepared for losing your sight. Now, fortunately, and I believe this is a blessing from God, I believe it out of my heart, um, although I have difficulties in my, at nighttime, well, they make flashlights. Uh, very strong flashlights. In fact, I, I, I can't see very well peripherally. That's been a gradual thing. So I've gotten used to it. And in, in my office, I've got, you never know that I have an eyesight problem. But in, in other environments, it's difficult. But once I got over that initial shock, I don't think I was ever very angry, but it, I started reaching out. And, and my wife is just a wonderful, compassionate human being and when I'm around her I never even realized we got an eyesight problem it just excuse old hands a lot but uh, <laughs> the um, and, and she's she's a service already person so she never makes me feel less than she always pumps me up but and also I've had to rely on my assistant work you know it's I an assistant can kind of do me in. They can walk me off the off the edge of a building, or <laughs> or any of those kind of things. And I have to depend on people to drive me. And um, it, but but being dependent on good people is not a real bad deal once you accept it. I think it teaches you about business too. Well, and and the fact is. You know, especially in the business that we're in, we can never do anything ourselves. We we have to do things in cooperation with others. You know, so for sure. 
Um, if uh, how are you preparing for the future? You know, uh, whether it's the you know the, the future for Spectrum as far as industry, as far as future work. Well, how are you preparing for the future? Um. I think we, we have four unifying principles that we founded at the start of our company. And we do these things religiously and um, methods may change, but principles don't change so often, I don't think, in our industry. Uh, our, our four unifying principles, the, the first unifying principle is to make our desired profit according to God's will and direction. Second unifying principle is to provide job security for performing employees. The third unifying principle is to provide higher compensation than the market for performing employees. And our fourth unifying principle is to provide uh, enhanced style of life or for performing employees or life balance type situations. Those things are chronological too. If you do number one, you make your desired profit and it's according to God's will and direction, it will it will be morally correct, there will be integrity, uh, and you'll have money to be able to honor your second commitment, that is provide job security for performing employees. Um, we've only laid two performing employees off in our whole history. And one of those I hired back and the other I offered to hire back, uh, but she had a child and decided not to. But that was in uh, 2008, and somebody flipped the light switch and things changed dramatically. And then, and then we want to be able to make, we want to be able to provide money to, to pay our people well, the third unifying principle. And then fourth, we want to give them life balance. Well, if you do all four of those things, you're going to keep a good group of people around you. And, and I think that's your best hope for the future. You can take a good group of, of uh, morally correct, skilled individuals with a decent client base and you can accomplish about what you need to accomplish in this industry. What what skills and ability do you have personally do you think that helps the business? Well, I work hard. I, I, I've been around quite a while. You, you reminded everybody at the start of this. <laughs> I'm not a young pup. I, I, I beg to differ with you, by the way. I am a young pup. I just lived a long time. <laughs> but I had a superintendent down in Nashville about uh, two months ago made that comment. And I said, okay, we're going to do push-ups together. He quit at 10 and I did 50 for him. So he doesn't, he doesn't take me on anymore. On those years. <laughs> I think, I think I'm, I'm hardworking. I don't care how much talent you have. If you're not willing to work, talent will only carry you so far. Um, I think Mark Twain said it's 5% inspiration and 95% perspiration. Um, so I work hard. I, I'm pretty well educated. I have continuing education. Uh, I have license in 13 states, uh, ASL, CLA, national license. So. A lot of those states require continuing education. I'm a pro prolific reader, so I'm fairly educated. 
I, a long time ago, I determined that law is not a way that you want to run your business, but it's a way, it's something you better be in compliance with so you can run your business. And I almost have a law degree, and I've, I ser I've served as a consultant to lawyers on 30, 35 projects, and I learned a lot in doing that to keep me from having to do that for, spe for Spectrum. <laughs> but I, I have good, good working knowledge of law, and we practice it here. I've got a new project manager. He's really gifted. But he just doesn't, he won't be as legal as we want to be. He's light on contracts. And I keep talking to him, well, we, 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 we can talk to them and, and this is not going to happen and this is not going to happen. And it does happen in law. If something goes wrong, the first thing people do is try to work it out. But if you can't work it out because one party has caused a damage to the other, then law becomes a relevant governing factor. So we want to always be contractually right, and I, I have a good working knowledge of law. I'm pretty analytical, the engineering background, um, but having a marketing background and an engineering background, and engineering one plus one always equals two, and in marketing one plus one never equals two. <laughs> so, you know, I'm. Those are pretty two different degrees, but I'm analytical, but not to the to a fault. That is all numbers. You have to mix mix emotion and passion and your sense of judgment and all those things in with that. But I'm analytical. Um, I've worked in multiple areas of construction. I worked my way through college, working long hours in the summer on bridges and highways. Um, I've worked in building construction, and I've been out in the field. I've, because we've been a little company that became a decent-sized company, I've worked in a lot of different aspects. Um, I think it, it's a lot easier for me to go out to a job site and relate to a project superintendent than if I'd never, if I just just started as a exactly in the construction industry. Um, and I think the last thing is I care. I just genuinely care about work. I care about people. I, I care about integrity. There's nothing about me that is, uh, I'm not a very laid back person, I guess. I care too much. Well, that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. I know it can, every strength can be a weakness, but, uh, but, uh, uh, caring is what a lot of people, those are the type of people, in my opinion, you have, want to have on your side. But uh, now kind of changing gears here. And go, if you were to give advice to someone looking to get into our business and grow it, you know, if maybe somebody that's younger or, you know, somebody, somebody that's just going, you know, just worked in the industry that wants to open up their business, what kind of advice would you give them? I think a little bit would depend on at what stage they are in their career. You know, I started in the business for myself when I was almost 27 years old. Um, and I had a really good job at White Collin. I just always wanted to be in business for myself, so I started too young. Uh, if I started at 35 or 38, with, if I'd stayed at White Collin and had another 10 years experience with them, uh, 
I might have it might have been easier starting. But I also might have gotten indoctrinated there and still been there to this day. Um, so I, I think that to start a business, you're talking specifically a contracting business, you gotta know about construction, but more importantly, if you're gonna own the business and operate the business, be the be the be the president or CEO, you better understand business. Very few construction companies fail, as you know, Scott, because of building falls. They fail because of the inability to handle the business side of it or the law side of it. So I would I would encourage people uh, to continue to study. If you haven't already studied, taking taking business courses to continue to get educated in business. Formal education in business will allow you to analyze financial statements, cost analysis, be able to inter relate with your external CPA, be able to relate to bonding. Uh, you know, bonding is not about construction, right? Mm -hmm. It's about your financial statement. Your the four C's, three C's. You're going to get bonded by 10 to 20 times your net quick. You better know what net quick is if you want to utilize all your bonding. And then I, I, I think the other thing I would encourage people to do is don't take the shortcut by assuming everything's going to be okay and let that reflect in how you negotiate and write contracts. What did you, um, uh, good advice there. If you had to say, you know, what your what a few of your biggest failures and biggest successes are as an individual, what would you say those were? As an individual or as a company? As an individual. As a person, my acceptance of Christ as my Lord and Savior. Secondly, marrying Marilyn Morris Tucker, Marilyn Morris at the time. Third, being born into a family that was um, not wealthy, but hardworking and honest. Fourth was having courage to do what I thought and think is right. And I think my biggest successes all come from that. And there's, if I talk about projects, uh, I mentioned the project in Piners, North Carolina. Um, there's, you know, to complete, this has been several years ago, to complete $10 million worth of work in three months is uh, almost four months, I guess, is unbelievable. It took an extraordinary effort. I flew to Raleigh, North Carolina every Wednesday, and I was there from Wednesday to Friday until the project was complete. I'm, I, had an arrangement where every subcontractor president had to be there in the trailer for that meeting. The owner had to be there, the architects, engineers. We changed, we had to make instantaneous decisions and get them documented. Um, the successes business-wise are, are hard to measure. I, um, some of the big projects, it's easy to say those are the biggest successes, but Maybe one of the biggest successes I have is my vice president of construction 
construction's dad was the first person I hired. And my vice president of construction came to work here when he was 17 years old with his father. Went back to school for a couple of years and didn't really like school. Came back to work for us and started out as a labor carpenter, carpenter foreman, lead man, uh, project supervisor, uh, uh, estimator, purchaser, vice president of our company. He's homegrown. He's gone from um, being a laborer to being vice president of construction. And we're not compromised in that area either. He's a, he's a very effective vice president of construction. In fact, today he's in, in uh, uh, Nashville, Tennessee. We've got a difficult large truss girder erection that has to be supported by uh, wood trusses on each side and it's mobile crane set up and all that. So he and other people like him, we've got three or four of them in our company like that, that maybe the people are my greatest successes. Well, that's pretty impressive to bring somebody in at a junior level and then them, them you know, run the business. That is pretty incredible, you know, um, and uh, it's a testament to the fact that, you know, you it, that just doesn't happen you have to invest in those people and obviously you've invested in him. Otherwise he, uh, he couldn't be who he is today. So it's a two way street, you know, it's a joint effort. So I have uh, before I do kind of the speed round at the end, I had one last, uh, you know, kind of open ended question. And that's it. That is, we have a, a group of people, uh, that, that listen to this podcast that are junior members in the construction industry. And they're trying to, uh, position themselves to be an executive someday in construction. Uh, what advice would you give to them? You know, they're young, they're they're motivated, they may be mid-level career. What, what advice would you give to them to to attain an executive level position within construction? I think the the, the first thing they would need to do is define to themselves what they want to achieve. In other words, do you want to be a, a, a senior project manager? You want to be a vice president? You want to be president of the company? You want to own it, you know? And do you want to do it within the company you work or do you want to go out and start your own? Um, if you want to go out and start your own, I think that you need some good mentors. Find somebody that you, or mobile people in the industry that you believe are trying to do it right and and take their guidance and investment. Most people will do that. Um, and then be prepared for to work hard. You, you, I don't care how good an athlete you are, if you don't work hard, you won't ever achieve what you need to. Understand that work and that's kind of a dirty word in our society now is work. But work used to be something that was pride. I take great pride in my ability to work. Um, but if you're willing to work hard, then I think you need to understand that there's going to be successes and failures. And I think you have to celebrate the successes. We always do that here. We, we if we are a little bitter on a job, we, we might high five each other or we always go to lunch 
together, we, we do something to celebrate the victories, but we also, we, we don't spend much time dwelling on the failures. Acknowledge it, figure out what, you, what went wrong, and then immediately put some steps into place to, so it won't happen again, and then forget it. If you spend a lot of time thinking about what's wrong, you won't think much about how to do it right. Um, I think a good analogy, I was a really good, I was a pretty good athlete all my life. And I took up golf late in my life when my eyesight problem developed. And the first thing I did is I go, I got lessons. I thought I'll do it. I'll just learn all the technicalities. And what I found, found myself doing was when I hit the ball, not the way I wanted to, I was always thinking what I did wrong with the shot. So the next time I was ready to hit the ball, I was thinking what I did wrong with the last shot. And I never got very good. And one day it kind of came to me, epiphany came to me. Don't think about that. You know how to hit the golf ball. Whenever you're going to hit a shot, think about how to hit it. Don't think about the shot you just hit wrong. And I think that's true in business. If you dwell so much on what's when you have failures, and, and every business owner has failures, um, you, you figure out what went wrong, you develop systems, and then you go with it. And last, I would recommend that you analyze yourself and find out if you're someone that can handle stress without becoming stressed, if that makes any sense. I, my wife says, it's kind of funny, she, I've had a hard day and we go home and she said, honey, I'm just so sorry that you have stress like this. And, and I said, yeah, I'm stressed to the max. And I said, why don't you get that blood pressure machine out? or got out, and she did, and my heart rate was 62 at that moment, and, and my blood pressure was 118 over 70, and I said, as you can tell, I'm stressed out. So she <laughs> smacked me upside the head, smacked me upside the head and said, I don't see how you do it. But I, she said, no, I know, I, get, I take all your stress, so you, you don't have it anymore. But, you know, there's, there's people that can handle stress, and there's people that can't. And if you can't handle stress, Getting becoming the owner of a construction business is going to be difficult for you. Well, there is no faint of heart in construction, that's for sure. Right, and, and but it's it's also the ability to understand that what's bad, what appears to be bad, may not really be bad. You, you got to wait for tomorrow or, or, or the next day. You know, you, some of the things that's happened in your life that you think are bad, I'll bet you, if you go back and look, they turned out to be good. So you, I think you just have to have a, a, a balanced life. And with that, you care about your work immensely and you're willing to put everything into it. But once you put everything into it, you've done what you can do. Things happen the way they happen. The, fu the funny thing, failure. go ahead. My business failure did not come from not making money. It did not come from not being able to build, 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 build buildings. It came from a lack of being able to collect the money that we'd already earned. Well, you know, the, 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 uh, the funny thing about what you say, you know, the lessons that you learned is you have to have a lot of miles behind you in order to learn those lessons 
and less miles ahead of you. <laughs> so by the time you figure them out, you have you have less time to to to, to do it right. But uh, that's why I always think it's good to, as you say, to have a mentor, someone who can guide you. Although uh learning through uh the school hard knocks is an effective way not the most efficient way but effective so um i i, I respect you immensely but i would argue that this, that is not the most effective <laughs> what not I the most okay yeah that's the, the, I, I guess the word is probably incorrect uh, it's uh, go ahead it's just experience if you have to experience doing things wrong a lot, you won't be able to survive to do it right. What, what I think, I think you learn three ways. One is by experience, obviously. The second is through the experience of others, through mentors and reading, and you, you learn without the pain there. And the third is theoretical thinking. And the one talent I probably have, I mean, I have very many talents, but one of the talents I have is I'm a good theoretical thinker. If, if you can take somebody else's problem or whatever and extrapolate how this could happen to you and you can guard against it before it ever happens, um, you, you, you do not have all the pain. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of theoretical thinking, forensic, forensic thinking or however you want to call it. And and that's a hard thing. Uh, you know, that's a, that's yeah. the thing I, I struggled with when I went from, doing the business or doing the task of a business and the running a business that to me, that was a hard transition because you do a lot of that analytical thinking, that theoretical thinking, you know, and that is a lot more challenging because there's a lot less, a lot less results immediately, you know, and I, I don't know how you are, but most people in construction like the tangible aspect of construction, you know, and it's tough when you spend the majority of your day just thinking on items and and that are big picture items. Um, uh, so I want to go to the, the the last round. It's called the speed round, and this is where you get to rate different topics based on a one to ten basis. So one being the least important, and ten being the most. And all these could be ten, you know. But I'm going to give you some different topics and ask you to rate them. Um, so like I said, ten is the most important. So we'll start off with scheduling. I would rate scheduling uh, eight and a half to nine. Estimating. Ten. Contract. On bid day, you will, you cannot make up for a bad bid. You can't make up for a bad schedule, but you cannot make up for a bad bid. Contract administration. Nine. Design. Nine. Contracts. Ten. Accounting. Nine point nine five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, like uh, David Dean likes to say, selling work or business development. Well, without clients, you're, you have no business. Uh, it, I think it's a 10 as well. And the last but not least, leadership. Oh, I think leadership has to be a 10 also. 
companies don't do well without effective leadership. I think distinguishing between management and leadership is important as well. I, I'm, uh, I think as Benning said, managers do things right, leaders do the right thing. And with that, Don, I'm going to give you a chance to kind of close this out. I do want to tell you that I appreciate your time. Um, one of the things I love about doing these podcasts is, I, you know, I learn a lot. I learn a lot from experience of some pretty knowledgeable folks. It's amazing um, to hear people's stories and kind of where they came from. And And I think if you, you know, if you were to ask our audience what they get from this the most, uh, the consensus of the audience would be to understand people's perspective and why they believe what they believe based on who they are, you know, uh, whether that may be you growing up in a small town, joining the army and, you know, going to university of Kentucky or, you know, uh, or, you know, uh, say anybody, David Dean, you know, uh, uh, growing up and going to in a small town, going to Eastern Kentucky. Um, and it, it's just incredible to me, like, especially, especially in this area, uh, in general, and not every one of, um, uh, our podcasts are in Kentucky, but the Midwest, you talk about work ethic as Denzel Washington says, uh, during his commencement speech, he goes, hard work works. <laughs> Working hard is what successful people do. So I want you to to close it out, Don, and say anything you'd like to say to kind of close uh, close out this podcast. Well, it's been fun. Um, I'm always willing to share what I have. I think one of the difficulties I have in a session like this is that we have been around for so long and and, and done so much in terms of different kinds of projects and so forth. And there's so many stories to tell that I I'm probably should have been a little more focused on maybe some technology or some of those kind of things. Um, but I agree with what you said. The character of the people involved is what makes something go when nothing else is going. You, you, the ability to, to dig down into your, um, into yourself, along with good teammates that have the same capabilities, allows you the opportunity to fix what's wrong and prepare to be right tomorrow. And I think that if you don't have that compass that points to true north, you can't handle when problems come. And I think business owners, in fact, probably when, if my wife listens to this podcast, you'll probably be irritated that I spoke about the business failure. Well, I'm not shy about that business failure. I wish it hadn't happened, but it did. And it's part of what made me and Spectrum who we are. So none of us are ever beyond the ability to fail and none of us are beyond the ability to take the failure and turn it into a positive thing that reaps benefit after benefit and it's amazing i think that um, we shared when we were having lunch both our wives have had breast cancer some people take cancer and don't ever want to talk about it again some people take cancer that survive 
and they they want everybody that has cancer, they want to be the first person there to tell them you can survive. And I think that's true with business failures and, and business successes. It, it's easy to talk about the successes. It's harder to talk about the failures, but it's through the failures is when we learn. Well, Don, I want to thank you once again um, on top of, uh, you know, respecting you and your company and what you guys stand for. Uh, I, I really enjoy talking with you always. Um, um, it's always, I, you got to, if you, if you want to hear a good story, talk to Don Tucker. That's what I tell people. So uh, uh, you got some, you have some good stories about, you know, uh, uh, things that occur and you want to learn something. So uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, I just, and I want to commend you for what, what you do every day uh, and what you, because you stand for a lot of things that I stand for and, and it's tough sometimes. It's not easy. And uh, I can't commend you enough uh, uh, for that. Uh, I also want to commend you for thanking your wife because uh, I know that's tough. No, I just, uh, <laughs> she, she, she would disagree. No, I, I, you work with your wife. I work with my wife. I know it can be tough. So I want to commend you. I, I want to commend your wife for willing to work with you, you know? So, uh, so, but, uh, but, once again, uh, thank you so much, and and uh, Don, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you here today. And uh, kind of close the, close the podcast out. Uh, the uh, you know this podcast is for construction executives or aspiring construction executives to learn through mentoring and discussion. So I hope you join us next week when we'll have somebody else on uh, to uh, to to go through some of these uh, common issues and kind of tell their story. So with that. Have a good day.